to this. You know what? And in the ring with Dan and Benny, hey, brother, man, hey, he's about the most cat. I just love him to death. I love you. Thanks for having me. Hey, you're the best. I'm telling you, brother, in the ring with Dan and Benny. Yeah. We love you. Thank Woo. you so much, Dan. Oh, yeah. Hello, friends, and welcome to another edition of Dan and Benny in the Ring. I'm Dan Spashano, joined, as always, by the BS Express himself, Benny Scala. Benny, how you doing, buddy? Dan, the, the great Ernie Banks, number 14, Mr. Cub. He'd look out at beautiful, majestic Wrigley Field on a sunny day and say, let's play two. And after doing 100 episodes, I'm going to say, let's do another 100. Let's play two. And I think that is a new record, Benny. You got your baseball reference in during your intro. That's impressive. It's done and over with. 100, 101 episodes, and you finally figured it out. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, you you talk about you know, uh, 100 more. We just had our, our 100th episode special, uh, the legendary Ken Patera telling lots of stories never heard before. It's, it's always great, and we've got you know, 100 more in us easy down the road. And we're starting with a part two. Benny, why don't you uh, tell everybody what we got going yes, on Yes, sir. This is actually part two of our uh, Glamour Girls of Wrestling series. We had uh, Desiree Peterson on. It was actually three months ago today. And we have another great uh, female wrestler from the 80s on today. She actually is the uh, was a both NWA and WWF Women's World Tag Team Champion. Absolutely delighted to introduce Princess Victoria. Princess Victoria, welcome to Dan and Benny in the Ring. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Uh, how are you guys doing tonight? Doing all right. Yeah. Loving the... Uh... I, I, and I really, I really appreciate the fact that you said WWF and not WWE. Yeah. No, no. Got to get our, get our facts straight here. Wrong. Absolutely. I think one of the uh, one of the biggest sins... I've ever seen is the Johnny Unitas plaque in the Hall of Fame says in uh, Indianapolis Colts, and uh, you got to you have to get your history right when you talk about the name changes. So we always do that. Right. That's good. But, a, a lot of people. I, I've been on a couple of co podcasts where people don't have their information straight, like uh per se the fact that uh sandy Barr trained me and lula really had nothing to do with my training funny you should mention that <laughs> <laughs> well we're we're gonna definitely get to your training we want to hear about that but uh before obviously before you train you, there's always a start and we ask everybody this is the first question we always we always start with because the stories are different and fascinating uh you know, obviously every single answer being different. When did the wrestling bug bite you as a fan? Uh, and, and who got you involved? Like, like when do you remember where, where, when you first became a fan of wrestling? Well, um, my first memory of uh, wrestling is uh, being at my grandmother and grandfather's house. And we used to watch wrestling every Saturday, uh, every Saturday night, uh, because granddad was really you know he was a serious wrestling fan he's the one who got me started i was probably 
shoot, I was probably watching them from, from when I was born, but I remember it starting about five or six years old. And then we went to visit one of our, our, uh, our relatives, grandma, grandpa, and I went to visit one of our relatives in Portland. And my cousin took me to a roller derby slash wrestling match. They had the roller derby on first. And then they had the wrestling match and Jimmy Snooker was there. I was about nine years old. And the first time I saw Jimmy jump off that top rope and fly three quarters of the way across the ring, like a bat, I was hooked. And I still have the eight by 10 autograph picture he gave me that night. Wow. And then, uh, I didn't go to many, I didn't go to any live matches after that. I'd still watched them on, on TV until I was about 14 when I moved to Portland. Uh, and I say, I, I moved to Portland, got my own, my own place, uh, after a while of, uh, sleeping in doorways and such. Um, and, uh, I started going to the matches live every Saturday night at the Chautauqua Sports Arena. And I'd go up there and, you know, at that time, I had a little backpack with my clothes in them, so I basically had T-shirts and jeans, and I'd go in, I'd get a general admission ticket, and I'd be sat in general admission. And then I got a job working at the Denny's on, uh, Denny's Restaurant on 23rd and Burnside, and my first check, I went to, uh, uh, oh, shoot, Fred Myers, And I bought this yellow chiffon dress with Chinese collar and a pair of uh, candy high heels, and I walked in, I walked up to get my general admission ticket. I paid for a general admission ticket when at that time I didn't know his name, but at that time Sandy Barr handed me my ticket and it was front row ringside. And I handed it back. I said, No, sir. I said, I paid for general admission. He says, This is your seat, go sit down. Um and then I kept going to the matches and kept going to the matches. And uh one Sunday morning, one of the district managers at Denny's kind of aggravated me and I walked out of the job there and by that time I'd gotten to know you know the the security guards and Sandy Barr and his wife <clears throat> and so when I went to the matches the following Saturday night I asked Sandy you know I need a job have you got a job for me and he said yeah uh you can start by helping clean up tonight after the matches well I'm standing there in a high heels address and nylons and I said you know, Sandy, I can't really do it tonight, but, you know, once I get home and get changed and all, I can come back next week. He says, no, I'll see you Saturday morning at five o'clock. And that was because his flea market was opening up that morning. And I had no idea what I was getting myself in for because I started out as basically cleaning up the uh, sports arena after the matches and then helping Sandy set up and we'd start on on Friday Friday afternoon we'd break down the ring we'd set up for the flea market for Saturday morning didn't get much sleep because then we had to go to the print office that Sandy owned we had to print the uh, programs for the matches then we came back on Sunday uh, Saturday morning and opened up the gates at seven o'clock for the uh for the flea market and he'd shut down he'd shut down the uh, flea market about i believe it was about 4:35 o'clock and between 5 
and seven when they opened the doors we we had to break down 200 flea market tables uh turn around set up the ring for saturday night get all get everything ready the programs uh concession because you know sandy was a uh you know jack of all trades when it came to wrestling um and we we do whatever job we were doing you know taking pictures selling programs working in the concession stand then saturday night after the matches were over we'd break down the ring again set up 200 tables for wrestling and these were these long eight foot tables and we'd set up about 200 tables for the flea market for sunday then sunday afternoon when when the flea market was over we'd have to break this flea market down again and set up for wrestling because sandy had a wrestling school that he had that started on a monday morning so i de i definitely fell into that and it wasn't too much longer after that that uh sandy came to me and he said i don't know if you know it or not but i've got this wrestling school going i said yeah he said well i've got a girl who wants to learn how to wrestle but i can't have her wrestle these guys he said i need a body in the ring for her to practice on and i looked at him i said am i getting paid for this uh, and uh, he said, yeah, I'll pay you, you regular hourly wage, which I think at that time was $3.75 or $4 an hour, something like that. And so I get, I go down to the wrestling, you know, and he had, he had a real wrestling school. You know, they didn't just wrestle, they didn't train for wrestling once a week or once a month. They, tra they trained five to six days a week both in the morning and evening for two hours every day and uh so i was doing that and one day the girl didn't show up and i i was there sandy had me come in and before i knew it the girl hadn't showed up for probably three or four weeks and i'm still showing up to the training but weirdly i'm training with the guys who he said he couldn't train the girl with and that's why he needed me in the ring and before i realized that i was hooked i i had made up my mind this is what i want to do and i'm gonna do it and that's basically i, I basically got tricked into becoming a wrestler you're way different than most of the you know, the people we talked to, but, you know, they find wrestling and almost, it's almost like wrestling found you. It did. Wrestling, to be perfectly honest, wrestling actually probably saved my life. Um, I had to leave home when I was 14 and it was basically a leave or die situation. Um, I had an extremely abusive childhood uh, between my biological mother my stepfather and some of my mother's boyfriends and when i left wrestling or when i left uh salem when i left home i left at two o'clock in the morning because my biological mother had come home drunk and i woke up to her beating the shit out of me and uh 
I, I told, I, you know, I, I, I kept, when, once I got fully aware, I started blocking her blows and, uh, I ended up having to subdue her by, uh, what Sandy calls, started calling the mama hole. And that's when you take one finger and put it on somebody's pinky knuckle. And then you put your thumb under that and then you press and that will, I have only met one person that that would not put on their knees with very little effort. And uh, I got to the, uh, I got to a payphone and I called uh, a wrestling friend of mine, and he said, "Go to the bus station. Your ticket will be there. I'll pick you up at the bus station in Portland." Uh, he picked me up, and. Uh, I got to Portland and uh, I ended up, you know, I couldn't stay at his house because he had family with him and he had, you know, but he, he got me out of, out of Salem. Um, and I ended up literally on the street, um, literally sleeping in doorways with newspaper as blankets or sleeping up under a viaduct because it was warm up there and waking up with a headache because that's where the carbon dioxide gathered. And once my friend in wrestling found that out, he made the first month's payment on a, a, a room. It was basically a boarding room. There was no stove or refrigerator. It was just a room. And then I got the job at Denny's and everything started from there. Um, and if it hadn't been for me getting into wrestling, I, I'm I'm not sure that I'd be alive today. Wow. Quite the story. Absolutely. Well, somehow, somehow, I don't know how, but once, once Sandy started putting me on the front row and couldn't figure out why wrestlers were falling at my feet on the front row, me wearing a dress, ah, uh, <laughs> um, and then I started, like I said, when I, you're working and the guys are there, you end up talking to them, you know, you get to know them, you realize they're real people. And I kind of became a little sister because everybody found out I was 14 years old and I was living in a wino motel and trying to make a go of it at 14. And I just became little sister. And, uh, you know, it was one of those things where you, you didn't mess with the little sister. Uh, to this day, when I see the guys, you know, it's it's family. You know, and, and I became a part of the wrestling family. You, you, you mentioned, excuse me, you mentioned, uh, you know, obviously, Northwest and, and Sandy Bar and then... Uh, you know, according to to like looking up some information on your early career, uh, your first recorded match it was again, or at least in the database, was against Velvet McIntyre. This was a couple months shy of your 19th birthday. You had gone to British Columbia. Uh, I mean, you, you're telling the story correct. about you. You were just telling the story, and and as awful as it was, it's it's a. a it's really a, kind of a great story to show the importance of, of wrestling in your life. So, I mean, at this point, you're barely out of high school and wrestling in a different country. How, uh, how was that? What was that like? 
Well, I've got, and I hate to say it this way, but I've got the classic Cinderella story. Um, I went from a really bad situation and how, how I ended up wrestling velvet was Sandy trained velvet as well. And, uh, and velvet came down. This was after I was still training velvet came down and we started training together. And, uh, at that time, I didn't realize it, but at the Chautauqua Sports Arena, Arena, there's something we call the crow's nest. And what the crow's nest was, it was basically covered in chicken wire, but that's where Frank Bonima and everybody did all their interviews. Well, you couldn't see who was in the crow's nest when you're in the ring because of the lights. And I had no idea at that time, but Sandy, while he was training Velvet and I, had Don Owens, uh, Dutch Savage, Buddy Rose, Roddy Piper, uh, Lord, Air, uh, uh, who else was there? Uh, the Kiwi, uh, not the Kiwis, the Steve Herders. Wow. They all ended up, and this is one thing I really liked about Sandy, is Sandy would bring one of these guys in at least once a week. And his reason for that was nobody wrestles the same. You know, some guys give, give a hip toss from the left. Some guys give it from the right. Depends on what country, what gender you are. Um, and he wanted basically Velvet Knight to be ready for anything. Well, he brought Don Owens down. And had Don Owens, you know, watch Velvet and I, and Don wanted us to get, before we, before we came to Portland, because of the TV and all, Don want us, wanted us to get some road experience. So Sandy sent us to El Tomco in uh, British Columbia, Vancouver, British Columbia, which happened to be Velvet's hometown, but Velvet was the bad guy and I was the good guy. And we went all over Canada. We wrestled in uh, we wrestled in Idaho for uh, Ed Moretti. Uh, wrestled for Al Tonko all over all over British Columbia. Um, and Al Tonko, bless his heart, he didn't know he didn't know how to book a town. You know, like when you book a town and you're booking a week, you don't want more than like 150 miles in between the towns because, you know, the wrestlers, they've got to get up in the morning, get dressed, drive them to the next town, get a motel, and be at, be at the arena between 6 and 7 o'clock at night. Well, Al did not measure miles well. Um in fact, there were times that it was 500 miles in between towns in British Columbia, but it was Velvet and I wrestling each other. And we just clicked wrestling each other. Um, I can remember one night uh, we were in some godforsaken town in the middle of nowhere and uh, 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 the Road Warriors, one of their first matches, they weren't even the Road Warriors yet. Uh, wrestled before us and Velvet and I are in the dressing room and the only thing we hear is boo, fake, boo, fake. 
it was one of their first matches. They they probably they weren't trained by somebody like Sandy who insisted he wanted everything. He wanted you to know everything before your first match. You know, some of these guys that train people, they're not training them. They're giving them two or three months, you know, of quote-unquote training, and then they throw them into the ring. And I think that's what happened with Road Warriors. And Velvet and I just looked at each other and dropped our heads because we knew that when we walked out in that ring, we had to go take a very cold crowd and get them out of their seats. Right. And uh, I looked at Velvet, and Velvet looked at me, and I looked at Velvet. I said, Idaho, huh? She said, yep. And we're in the ring, and I don't know if she thought she was being funny or what, but I go to throw Velvet over the top rope, and Velvet doesn't land on the floor in front of the first row. She doesn't land on the first row. She literally flew to the second row. And I looked at her, and I looked at her, and I looked at her, and I hit the rope, and I flew, and I landed right on top of her. And we grabbed each other's hair, and we rolled over all the people that were in the first and second row till we ended up at the end of the row, and we fell on the floor fighting. And when we left the ring that night, um, although Velvet was a bad guy and I was the good guy, we were all getting slapped on the back, being told, now that's wrestling. And from that night on, I mean, up until we went, till Sandy had to send us to Moolah's, you know, we, we were fighting each other in the ring and, and people just really, they liked the fact that we were real women. And by real women, I mean, we weren't cooked cookie cutters we weren't these tiny little you know big boob tna quote unquote wrestlers i candy and we <laughs> exactly and we did wrestle you know belt uh uh sandy before i ever learned the first professional wrestling hold he brought in professor dale lewis who was a uh, was also uh, a wrestler in high school, and we were taught to do collegiate style and Greco-Roman wrestling. We were doing sit-outs and takedowns, and I mean, we were really wrestling before we ever learned anything about professional wrestling, and that way we could really wrestle professionally. You know, a lot of people say, you know, well, is wrestling fake? And I've asked them, I looked at them, I said, did you have a good time tonight? Yeah. Do you feel you got your money's worth? Well, yeah. Are you coming back next week? Yeah, of course I am. Then why do you care? What else matters, right? Right, exactly. Plus, you get two women landing on your lap. I'm I'm paying for a double admission. The next right. Week. <laughs> it it always it always cracks me up. People that love like action movies and and stuff like that. Oh, you can't like wrestling. That's entirely fake. You know, they're they're not yeah, actually and, fighting. And, yeah, how and, many? 
and and Bruce Willis really stood on the wing of an airplane right. as it crashed into downtown what New York. <laughs> yeah, that really happened. Absolutely. So you mentioned uh, uh, Mula and South Carolina, Vicky. How, how did that come to pass that you wound up in South Carolina from uh, the Pacific Northwest? Well, what happened was, um, and what a lot of people know is, Mula basically had a stranglehold on women's wrestling in the 80s, um, late 70s and early 80s. Uh, in order to get booked, you basically, you know, either you took a bunch of crappy bookings where you might wrestle once a week or twice a week or or less, or you went to Mula and Sandy came to us one day and he told me in Velvet, he said, I don't want to do this, but I got no choice. If you guys want to wrestle, I've got no choice but to tell you the best way to, to wrestle full time is go work for Mula. And it wasn't, it wasn't, oh, God, you're getting to go wrestle for Moolah. It was, I have no choice but to send you to Moolah. And Velvet, you know, got on a flight, and she went straight to Moolah's. I got on a flight. I went to Charlotte. I went to see some friends of mine that were wrestlers, you know, took a two-week break. And uh, when I got to Moolah's, and Velvet will tell this story, Every day, Mula was coming out of her office. Where's that damn Indian? When's that damn Indian going to get here? And that's basically how Mula and I's relationship started off, is I didn't do things exactly the way she wanted me to do them. Um, and we get down there, Velvet and I get down there. When I finally get down there, uh, about two weeks after Velvet, Mula brings me in the office and says, look, I've got to train you. Huh? Well, you've got to be retrained. You don't wrestle like women. Huh? <laughs> I've already been on the road a year, year and a half, and she's telling me that she's got to retrain me, and she needs $1,000 for me to retrain me. And before I got there, actually, one of the guys that I, I came to visit in Charlotte had told me, he said, Vicki, he said, you can stay here, you know, you can find yourself a job, get on your feet, get yourself an apartment, and while you're doing that, you can stay with me here, but please don't go to Moolah's. And this was said more than once by more than one person. Nobody wanted me to go to Moolah's, and I didn't know why until much later. Um, well, I didn't know why until she told me she had to have $1,000 to retrain me because Sandy Barr had never asked for one thin penny for me and Velvet. He had actually, when Velvet came from Canada to train, she was already staying at Sandy's and Sandy got tired of me being late because I lived on one side of Portland and Chautauqua Sports Arena was on the other end and I had to take a bus back and forth and I was always being late and one day he said, Pack your stuff. You're moving in with me. Sherry's already said it's okay. And that's that's how Sandy trained you. He literally brought you into his family. Um, but anyway, I get down there. She says, I got to have $1,000 to train you. Uh, 
okay. And then I go out, you know, the next morning, I'm out in the, in the barn, the big barn, and uh, waiting for Moolah to come out and train me. And here comes Joyce Grable, Wendy Richter, um, Leilani Kai, Judy Martin, uh, uh, shoot, Candy Malloy, and last but not least, Donna Christentello. I never in the entire time that I was at Moolah's, and that was approximately two and a half years, I never saw Moolah get in the ring. Moolah had nothing to do with my training at all. Donna Christentello would get, get in there, and she she couldn't see why, and Moolah never knew this while she was alive, but Donna Donna could not see why I need to pay her training fees because she didn't see the training that I needed, nor did Velvet. Um, and then one day, uh, about three or four months later, uh, Moolah started booking me and Velvet. <clears throat> and at first we were being booked, you know, single matches with Joyce Grable or Judy Martin. And then one day she came to us. She said, I want you guys to start training as a tag team. Well, as as magical as it was when Velvet and I wrestled each other, it was 10 times more magical when we became a team. It We could read each other's minds. I mean, a look, a motion, I knew what she wanted, she knew what I wanted. And, and that's basically how we became a tag team. Vicki, uh, I watched the Dark Side episode. I thought it was fabulous. And uh, thank you. I, I remember you saying something. And I, I'm I've been in finance my whole life, and I'm I'm everything's about numbers with me. And I remember you said something about that you were uh, paying, I guess, three Mula three hundred dollars a month to live in this you know dinky little apartment with maybe what uh, three other wrestlers. Uh, oh yeah, she had, she had gotten these. Uh, 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 Boot, uh, the boot camp, uh, 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 Fort Jackson was just down the street from Moolah's. And down the street, I mean about five miles. And uh, when they started switching out the housing that they had for the soldiers there, Moolah bought a bunch of these, housing, I guess you'd call them houses. And she Barrett had, songs. like you said, she uh, she had, like you said, three to four of us living in each one of those homes, which means for each one of those houses back in 1980, she was getting anywhere from $900 to $1,200 a month off of us girls for each one of those homes. How many square foot was it? Just out of curiosity. Couldn't have been that big. Maybe a thousand, fifteen hundred square feet. They right. weren't that big. Very tiny kitchen, you know, bathroom where your elbows hit the wall. Um, you know, n- n- nothing big. If if you pull up, you know, a, a soldier's house in Fort Jackson, I'm sure you'll see it. Uh, no, they were not that big at all, and not very well insulated either. Sounds more like my old college dorm than an actual apartment. <laughs> Pretty much, pretty much. But they were individual houses, 
And I'm, I'm pretty sure that, you know, when they were on the base at Fort Jackson, they probably only held like two soldiers. Right. But she put three to four of us. In, and, and even if you went on the road for nine months, you still had to pay her $300 a month. Wow. Whether you were there or not. That, that was the other part of my question, though, uh, when because she got, I guess, what, 25 percent of your 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 uh, appearance fee. How did that work? Did did she, did she actually, get the money from the promoter? About, I'm sorry. Actually, actually, she got about 75 percent. Oh, so you got the 25 percent. Um, well, no. What Judy Martin finally found out after she had gotten out from under Moolah's clutches when her and Leilani were the glamour girls. Um, Judy got some checks from New York, some old checks. And all us girls kept ledgers. You know, uh, what town did you wrestle in? Town you wrestled in that night, pay, miles, because there'd be two to four of us in a car and whoever's car it was, you had to pay them mileage, which at that time was a nickel a mile. Right. The trans. But you, you multiply that by three, that's 15 cents a mile. Sure. And this was back in the day when gas was, you know, a buck, a buck and a quarter. So, you know, you were, you were making money on, on mileage as well as wrestling. And then whoever was the mama of the, you know, was the mama was the one who was driving the car. You know, you rented the motel. If the girls didn't have the money, you wrote down how much the motel was that night so you could collect it when they got paid when they got back at home. Well, Judy got her checks. And she found out without a doubt that, um, say, we wrestled Madison Square Garden and we got 800 bucks. Moolah would knock it down to we got 400 bucks because the promoters would send her the checks and then Moolah would deposit them in her bank, but she never had us sign the checks. Uh, and Judy actually went to a lawyer, showed him her evidence, and the lawyer said, oh, yeah, you got enough proof. You got enough proof to prove that she was ripping you girls off, but you ain't got enough lawyers. You ain't got the money to fight her on this. Right. And that's when Judy pretty much found out that Moolah was being covered by uh, the McMahons. And that if Moolah got in any trouble, their lawyers, their New York lawyers were also Moolah's lawyers. So she would take a check, cut it in half, tell us we got paid this much, and then she'd take an additional 25% out of that, plus the rent. <laughs> this is like Scott Steiner uh, math, Dan. Huh? <laughs> right? six, no, I said this is seconds. like Scott Steiner math. So it was it was cut in half, and then she took 25% of the half. Yeah, you got a 66 exactly. and two-thirds percent chance of getting ripped off. So, I mean, now, did exactly. that work just for New York? Or, like, when you wrestled in other territories, because that's going to be one of my other questions, you wrestled all over the place. Was it the same deal? Were, were, were the promoters sending Moolah the check, and then she paid you, or were you ever getting paid by the promoter directly? 
every promoter except for Bill Watts sent Moolah the checks. Oh. Bill Watts insisted on paying us just like he did the boys. After the match, he walked up to you and he handed you your envelope. And none of us could figure out how we made more money in, say, a, a place like Thibodeau, Louisiana, than we made for being semi-main event at Madison Square Gardens. Oh. Because Bill paid us directly. He, he refused to send Moolah the money. And, and Moolah didn't like it at all. In fact, every time that I was in Bill's territory, she called me up every night. Well, how much did you guys get paid tonight? I need to write it down in my books. Uh, she, she wasn't happy with it. So did you still have to then pony up the 25% of uh, what Watts paid you to her? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's why she called me every night to find out how much, how much we made. So that she could definitely, you know, put the 25% on the books. Well, they didn't call her Moolah for no reason. Right. Uh, well, we, we, yeah. And uh, I tell everybody, you know, Lillian Ellison was one person and Moolah the wrestler was another person. Lillian Ellison, the business manager, can't stand her, ain't got no use for her. If she was to rise from the grave and walk up and go to hug me, I'd slap her in the face. But Moolah, the wrestler, I've got to look at it as it's kind of like the Babe, the Babe Ruth thing. I mean, everybody loves Babe Ruth, but Babe Ruth was a drunk womanizer and, you know, would go to the bars and get in a fight every night. But everybody still loves him because he was the Babe. He made all these, you know, uh, uh, records, some of which have not been broke today. Well, if it wasn't for Moolah, the wrestler, I wouldn't be here. You know, I mean, she carved the way she was. She was part of the women that carved the way for women's wrestling. And I respect Moolah, the wrestler. I got no respect whatsoever for Lillian Ellison, the business manager. Jeez. You know, Benny touched on it. We spanned a little bit on the... Uh dark side of the ring and obviously some of the stories that came from that uh i was hoping you could just kind of describe your typical day i mean were you on your own as far as food uh how long the training was you know how directly involved mula was in the in the typical day and um correct me if i'm wrong but you said there was also a curfew and if you weren't basically out and working by a certain time you were locked out can you kind of walk us through a typical day at the camp well, typical day was training started in the barn at eight o'clock in the morning. I'd walk out there with my cup of coffee. We'd train for, you know, a couple hours. Donna Christentello would be the leader of the training. Uh, it would be whoever was not on the road at that time. You know, uh, you can go through a, a complete list. Uh, Joyce Grable, the same one I went through before. Joyce Grable, Wendy Richter. Candy Malloy, Leilani Kai, Judy, Judy Martin, uh, uh, Susan Nye was there, uh, Velvet, of course, me, and we'd all get out there, and sometimes there'd be a new girl in there, and uh, 
Mula still didn't come out. She, she'd walk out and she'd take a look. And then she'd walk back in her house. But it was Donna Cristantello who led the, the wrestling, you know, the wrestling training. And we did that in the morning and at night, unless you had a job, an outside job, which I always did. Um, and uh, 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 for instance, there was one time that I was, I had moved into uh, the house right behind Moolah's. Uh, it was a little, one of those little shacks right there from, uh, uh, from uh, Fort Jackson. And it was right there on the pond. And I happened to be out on my back porch one morning. And all of a sudden, I heard this commotion. Oh, my God. It sounded, it sounded like two cougars going at it. And by cougars, I mean the cat, not women. Uh, I mean, there was growling, there was yelling and everything else. So I walked around and Mula had gotten in a new girl. And she had one of the other girls, I won't mention her name, uh, out there training her. And the vet that was supposed to be out there training this girl broke the girl's arm in her first training match. Oh. And Mula, oh my God, you she was so pissed. It wasn't fun. She was yelling and screaming, damn it, I told you to train her. You just cost me X thousand of dollars. Her family's got money and now they're not going to let her train for wrestling. Um, that was just one of the instances uh, where Mula was supposed to be training people and Mula wasn't even in the barn when it happened. Uh, there was another instance, a uh, young lady by, uh, by the name of Elizabeth Chase, um, very, very, very uh, strong woman. Uh, she had a she had this bodybuilding weight like you know you would see people at these uh, uh, shows that were you know uh, getting awards and all for their muscles and all and that was Elizabeth Chase. Well, there was one problem with it is Mula had put her in the ring with three or four of the girls and Liz was beating the hell out of them. And I happened to walk out there because, you know, for some reason, uh, training was canceled that day. Well, I found out it was because Liz was in the ring with one of the other girls. And I walk out and I stand beside Mula because I'm watching. And Liz is just, I mean, she, she, was, she was the Greco-Roman. She had been taught, like I had been taught Greco-Roman and collegiate style wrestling. And she was just beating the hell out of the girls. And Mula looked over at me and said, can you take her? I said, well, of course I can take her, but it matter. It, you know, how do you want me to take her? You want me to take her street? You want me to take her wrestling? You want me to take her boxing? How do you want me to take her? And Mula looks at me and says, I don't care if she's hurting my girls. Stop her. So I set my cup of coffee down and I jumped up in the ring, told the other girl to get out. And Liz came at me and she was doing a bulldog at me with her head down and her fist up and I sidestepped her grabbed her you know uh with my left arm you know under the throat cinched up 
and dropped down to the mat. And as I was dropping, I kicked back. So I basically slid her face across the mat. And when she came up, <laughs> she had a damn rug burn across the front of her forehead, on her nose and on her chin, you know, all the main places that were standing out. And she just stopped and looked at me. I never had a problem with her after that. Wow. But the thing is, is if that was my training school, you know, I'm the great whoever. And there was somebody up in the ring hurting my girls. It wouldn't be me asking somebody else to get in that ring. It would have been me getting in that ring and teaching that personal lesson. And But Mula wouldn't do it. She sent me up to do her dirty work. Mm. Vicky, in your first full year, I had I looked this up and hopefully it's correct, but I have you wrestling in uh, big time wrestling with the Sheik in Detroit, WWF, like WWF, actually, I think two or three times, Mid Atlantic, Central States, and that's where you won the uh, NWA Women's uh, Tag Team Title with Sabrina, Stampede, yep, I get my good friend uh, Stu Hart there, uh, um, Pacific yeah. Northwest, oh, all Japan, <laughs> I had to do that. World-class Mid-South, not to mention you had some one-offs with uh, AWA, Florida, and uh, Joe Blanchard. You crammed that all into one year. You were, you were very, very busy, weren't you? Oh, yeah. Um, to get a day off when, when I was wrestling, to get one single day off was like, hallelujah. Um, and... Uh, I can remember, like I said, I went on, I went on the road with Wendy Richter one time, and we started out. Uh, I believe it was we started out in Japan, which you always stayed in Japan for two months. Then we came back, landed in the United States, took another flight to Puerto Rico. Didn't even get home. Landed took a connecting flight to Puerto Rico, spent two or three weeks in Puerto Rico. Then we went to uh, Santo Domingo for a week or so. And then we went to Trinidad for a week or so. Then we went back to Japan. And then when we were done for another two months in Japan, we came to Texas to uh, wrestle for the Von Erich. We literally did not see United States ground for almost five months. Oh, wow. And the flight that we ended up taking back uh, from, there was a connecting flight. And I, I remember it because this plane was the worst of the worst sardine cans. There wasn't even enough room in this plane for two rows on either side. It was one row. There was like a total of 20, 25 people on the plane. And every seat, seat was done. And that was nothing new for us. Uh, but, yeah, uh, when I was in the business, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't two or three days a week. Like I said, it wasn't one day a week. It wasn't one day a month. You thanked God when you got a day off. Uh, there was one time, uh, Velvet, me, Peggy, and I can't remember, somebody else. Uh, 
might no, it wasn't Leilani. I can't remember who the other wrestler was, but it was me, Peggy Lee, and Velvet for sure. And for some reason, we were we were in New York, and for some reason, the entire cast for WWF got two days in a row off. And Alpha and Sika came into the dressing room and said, "Look, you know, there's no sense in you girls staying at you know a motel." We're 150 miles away. You can drive to our place. You can stay there. Uh, I can't remember if it was Arthur or Sika, but their wife was pregnant in the hospital in labor. And we were all at her house, you know, helping her have the baby. Uh, you know, every time we got a phone call that the uh, contractions were, you know, getting closer and closer together, everybody had a shot. And one night, uh, Sika got a wild hair, and he had family in Daly City, and he called them and had them uh, overnight express palm tree leaves. And then he went in the back backyard and started, him and the boys were digging a hole. I walked out, I said, what are y'all doing? We got palm tree leaves coming. We're going to cook a hog. And what they did was they dug this hole, filled it with wood, this blazing fire, waiting on the palm tree leaves. Then when it got down to nothing but coals, they lay the palm trees, tree leaves down and put a pig over the top of that, put more palm tree leaves on top of the pig, and then covered it until the next day. Uh, because we were not only celebrating that, you know, Sika's wife was in the hospital having a baby, we had two days off. <laughs> That, that had to be something like to get the, the two days off after what you said. Oh, it was, I, it, it was like Christmas. And see, we never had, we never had holidays off. You never had Christmas Eve or Christmas off there. If, even today, I'm sure you can look and there's a Christmas match somewhere. I, I, you know, I was just thinking when you said Puerto Rico, those are my understanding from what I've heard very very tough crowds to to work for they they took their wrestling very seriously in puerto rico oh yeah yeah well, puerto rico trinidad and santo domingo uh your hispanic mexican spanish you know countries even today you know uh uh, uh lucha libre that is you know that is what you know, how do I explain it? If you go in that arena and you're not a wrestler, the crowd will take you out. Um, the one thing I liked about going to the Hispanic, Mexican, Spanish areas was I got to be the bad guy. And I had always wanted to be a heel from day one. And I told Sandy, I said, I want to be a heel. He said, nope, you can't be a heel. You're Indian. I said, what? He says, well, tell me, what, what name What name do you want to wrestle under? Well, at that time, I wanted to uh, wrestle under the name Misty LaFleur, which meant pretty flower in French. Right. He says, can you speak French? I said, no. He said, then how the hell can you be French? And I just looked at him. He said, you're an Indian? 
your name is Princess Victoria. Jay Youngblood gave you this headdress. And if you look at my early matches, you'll see me wearing a pink headdress. And uh, that was given to Jay by his dad, and it was given to me by Jay uh, for my first match. Wow. Yeah. Unfortunately, it got destroyed in a uh, land flood in a house that I was living in. Uh, one of the one of the very few regrets I have in life was losing that head that headdress. Hmm. But when but when I got to go and and Sandy, you know, in Canada here stateside, I could never be the bad guy. But every time I went out of country. I got to be the, I got to be the heel, and I loved it. Um, I think it was I think it was Trinidad. It was either Santo Domingo or Trinidad. They had uh, when when Wendy and I got there, they had canceled our matches for the first three days because the day before we got there, their vice president had died. Well, uh, we weren't exactly off duty. We had to do radio. We had to do TV. We had, you know, had to do, you know, advertisement, you know, going from place to place, letting people know that the women wrestlers were here. And they had me do a, a, a radio uh, spot. And the, 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 the uh, uh, oh, what do they call him? The DJ for the radio spot asked me, he said, what do you think of our country? Well, I went totally healed. And I said, you mean this dirty little country with these dirty little people who have been begging me for five years to come here? And just because some vice president dies, you cancel my matches for three days? Ooh. <laughs> and I look up, and the guy who had taken me to, to this radio announcement, he's doing the slice across the throat. Well, it was too late. You know, you can't take words back. And this was a live radio shot. I had no clue. And like I said, I can't remember if it's Santo Domingo or Trinidad, but it was one of the two. I believe it was Santo Domingo. I had no clue that Santo Domingo worshipped this vice president like we did JFK. Mm. The first match that we had about three nights later i get in the ring and they start throwing oranges at me now understand they're not the little oranges we have over here when when you get into a nice sunny area that's growing oranges oranges can be bigger than a softball oh yeah they've got a very thick skin on them which keeps the juice in and they were they were they were throwing oranges at me in the ring and I happened to reach up and catch one. And it was just one of those coincidences that I saw the guy who threw the orange that I caught and I threw it back at him. And the powers that be allowed me to hit him upside the head with it. <laughs> uh, and that kind of, everybody went, huh? But after that, as I was leaving the ring that night, they had two security guards, one on either side of me. But I'm getting pinched. I'm getting punched. I mean, these two security guards, they, you know, my hair is getting pulled. 
Uh, one of the security guards gra grabbed a pair of scissors away from a girl because he was trying to cut my pigtail off. But the match had sold out that night, and we were there for two, at least two weeks. And every night, it was a sellout crowd. And the second night, I didn't have two security guards. They literally had a ring around me. You know, there was a security guard in front of me. There were two on the side of me. There was one behind me. And then there was one up in front pushing people away as we were coming through and one behind keeping people from coming up from the behind. But they were still getting through. I, they hated me. <laughs> but well, let, I enjoyed every minute of it. <laughs> well, let me let me ask you real quick. Um, obviously, there's you know, something we got to get on before we, the interview's over. But I wanted to just kind of a quick follow-up. You talked about the heel face dynamic and I'm, I'm curious if your, your thoughts, uh, if your career would have played out differently, if you could have been a more consistent heel stateside with that, as many territories as you ran through in the early years. No, no, I think Sandy knew exactly what he was talking about. Um, you won't find very many, if any, Native Americans that are in the wrestling business or were in the wrestling business that were heels. They were all baby faces. Yeah, true. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm not I'm not sure why, but I've even seen I've seen wrestlers that were doing what they call tweener, you know. Yeah, they were a good guy, but and and I'm one of them. Yeah, but they were a good guy. Yet you can see me. There was a match where uh, I'm in the ring with Wendy Richter, and she's choking me, and I end up biting her thumb. And and you can see it because she comes up, and I still got her thumb in her, my mouth. Um, but for for some reason, the dynamic for Native American wrestlers is we were always babyface whether we wanted to be or not in the United States. Vicki, I have a, it's a very long, I don't know if you ever saw the movie Back to School when uh, Rodney Dangerfield takes his final exam. It's one question with 37 parts. So oh I'm, I'm going to do so, something, <laughs> not really, but um, the, yeah. kind of a, a long question here. So um, in, in April of 1984, you wrestled as a babyface, wrestled a heel uh, cowgirl Wendy Richter, and you. I, yeah. I watched the match over the weekend. You you pinned her clean in the, in the middle of the ring. Um, you broke your neck probably maybe about five months after that. And so, I guess my my question is, and you had a number of wins over Wendy Richter. Actually, you you beat her a lot more than she beat you. You have a, a I think, a 37 and 29, which I'm sure is not completely accurate, but you had. A lot of wins over Wendy Richter. Um, if if that if that broken neck hadn't happened, um, do you think that maybe it would have been you that got the push instead of Wendy? And then the the other part of that question is, uh, and you spoke about it on the dark side of the ring. Uh, as far as after you got the broken neck, you went from the hospital. I believe they shipped you right back to uh, to South Carolina with Mula. And if I listen right, um, 
you were tr- she was trying to have you take bumps like not that long after you got back there and you could barely even walk and so the you know the, the second part of the question is 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 that true and what did or Vince McMahon because we got to bring him in this equation what did he or did he not do for you all right what happened was I was in the ring it was not September 1st it was not the match that's on YouTube uh where everybody thinks it was velvet who landed on my head that I broke my neck it was a dark match and the young lady what happened is And bless her heart, to this day when she sees me, tears come to her eyes. We are very, very good friends. Um, Then Despina Montagas picked me up, and I can't remember if it was to hang me in the corner or to do a pile driver, but she tripped. Probably a chair or the the, uh, mat on the ring was loose and there was a wrinkle, but somehow she tripped. And we both went down, and when we went down is when my neck got broke. I had no clue that my neck was broke at all at the time because of, I guess, the adrenaline, and I ended up finishing the match and uh, got back to the dressing room. And, you know, when you when you come out of a match, especially, you know, when you're doing a title match, and not even so much a title match, but I was always taught, I don't care if there's five people or 50,000 people in that crowd, you give them the same match. You give them 150% of what you got. And I get back to the ring. I am dripping in sweat. And I'm sitting down on on the uh, bench. And I'm cooling off. And I went to reach down to start unlacing my boots. And when I did, I felt this ungodly pain in my neck. And I sat back up and I do what most wrestlers in my day did at that time was, all right, what muscle have I pulled this time? And so I sat up straight for a while and I went back down to untie my boots. And that's the last thing I remember. Uh, The next thing I remember, and, and from what I've been told, I screamed so loud that every wrestler in the building came running. Oh, wow. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty, even today, I'm pretty tough when it comes to pain. I mean, I broke my collarbone in the ring and I finished the match. And I, I didn't crack my collarbone. I broke it. Uh, that, that's impressive. The, Any, anybody that's ever had a collarbone injury knows how painful that is. Oh, my God. You ain't kidding. Uh, I still have the bump. For uh, 40 years later, uh, and the bone from my neck to the break is twisted one way, and from my shoulder to the break is twisted the other. Uh, one of the reasons that they classified me disabled. But anyway, the next thing I remember, I get this quick memory, red lights. Uh, I know I'm in a gurney because I've got one EMT on each side of me. And I mean, they're running me to the to the uh, ambulance. Blackout again. Wake up. Well, not so much wake up, but the very next memory I have is doctors telling me I'm going to have to have surgery. Now, 
I do not remember how I got back to South Carolina. I don't know if I was in a car, a van, a train, a plane, you know, or riding a dinosaur. But the next memory I have is I'm walking from my little place to the barn with Moolah, and she's saying, all right, let's go see how you can take a bump. And I took a bump, and I screamed. I went back to my room. Very little memory after that. You know, I don't I don't know if the broken neck was interfering with something, but just no very little memory of what happened. Then the next thing I know, Mula has called me into her office. And at this time, I think it'd been, you know, two or three months, and I still hadn't heard a word from Vinnie Mac. <laughs> and, and see, the thing is, is in March of 84 is when Vinnie Mac, when Mr. McMahon Sr., notice the way I addressed the two. Yep. Mr. McMahon Sr. had sold the business to Vinnie Mac. So at the time that I broke my neck, Vinnie Mac was in control. Had To this day, have not heard a word from any of the McMahons. Um, not a phone call, not a kiss my ass, not nothing. Not even like checking up in the hospital if you are all right? Not Now, honestly, I don't know. I cannot remember. I cannot say that that is a no. But to the best of your recollection, so you, don't, you don't remember. So, yeah, I do not. He could have been there. Uh, I, I, You know, Mr. McMahon Sr. could have been there. Uh, the only thing I remember is I the one thing that I remember, and I was alone at the time, was the two doctors telling me that I had to have surgery. And then the next thing I remember, I'm in South Carolina at Moolah's. Now, I can tell you, after I got to South Carolina at Moolah's, no, I never heard anything from McMahon's. Not a word. Never received a dime from them. Um. Now, I can tell you, I never received a, a, a bill from the hotel or from the uh, hospital either. So somebody had to have taken care of that. Um, but Moolah calls me into her office. And it wasn't Moolah at the time. This was Lillian Ellisor, Ellison. And she's telling me, look, I, I, I've got a guy I want you to talk to. He lives in Amsterdam. He wants you to come over. He's a fan of women wrestling. And 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 this I'll never forget this. And Han, the nicer you are to him, the bigger payday you'll get. And Han, you need a big payday right now. Jesus. Sounds like a madam. Well, I went over there. I went over there and I talked to the guy on the phone. I'm not gonna say his name because I'm just not going to. Everybody in the business knows who I'm talking about. Um, and I get over there. This guy has not been beat by an ugly stick. This son of a gun had been beat by the whole damn forest. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and, every, and, and every branch on the way down. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And a couple tree, other trees joined in just for the hell of it. Um. And I had talked to him on the phone before before I even got on the plane. I said, look, I said, 
this is the thing, separate motel rooms. I want my own motel room. So I'm letting him know right away, you know, I'm coming to visit. I'm not coming to, you know, tickle your fancy. Um, the very next morning after I got there, we, I got there. He immediately takes me on a tour of the red light district in Amsterdam and shows me an office in the red light district and tells me, you know, I can buy that and you can have your own training gym there. And I, I'm looking at him and I'm going, excuse me. You know, this is the red light district. You've got women almost down to their nethers in the window. I mean, this is the prostitution district in Amsterdam. And he's telling me he wants to set me up in a gym in this area. Uh-uh. Nope. Nope, not happening. So I get my room. He gets his room. And, you know, I've told you a bit about my childhood, so you, you can understand when I say survival mode. Um, I wake up the next morning, and I catch his hand with my right hand. I grab his left wrist because he's about two inches from my chest. And he's standing there in a pair of boxer shorts. And I'm holding his wrist, and I'm starting to put pressure because he keeps pushing. And I looked at him, and I said, blank, I will break your motherfucking wrist. You need to back off, and you need to back off now. Well, when he backed off, I looked at this guy. Now, if you take a Dixie cup, you know, one of those little shot cups? Right. And you put a, you put a toothpick in the center of it. That's what this man looked like in his boxers. And he wasn't white. He was translucent. Milk. You can almost <laughs> literally see through this guy. Long story short, uh, as Vicky can make it, uh, at one point he asked me, he says, you know, because I'm, I'm still, I'm getting separate motel rooms. And I'm there for a week. And we're driving his, his I believe it was a Jaguar, down the Audubon. And it's not we, I'm driving it because, you know, of course, he's trying to impress me now with all the money he's got. And he tells me, he says, Vicky, I'm a Duke. I've got, I've got millions of dollars. I've got William, women falling at my feet. I looked at him, I said, blank. I said, your feet and your money don't mean nothing to me. He says, well, everybody's got a price. What is yours? I said, mine is love. And I don't love you. Well, the next thing out of his mouth was, uh, well, what if I take what if I take your passport away from you? I said, well, after I beat the living shit out of you, I'll go to the American embassy and I will press every charge on you that I can possibly press. Well, he sent me back and Velvet will tell the story that she was in Mula's office when this guy called her, and Mula went frickin' ballistic, even worse than she did when the girl got her arm broke. I can't believe she didn't sleep with him. Why would she be mad? Why would she be mad that I didn't sleep with this guy? Was she getting a cut of that payday, too, though, uh, Vicky? Apparently. 
uh, well, honestly, I can't say because I don't honestly know. My question is, and you draw your own conclusion, why was she mad that I didn't sleep? There was not enough money, drugs, or liquor in the universe <laughs> for me to sleep with this guy. No, it wasn't happening. And I don't think Mula understood that about me. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying I was an angel because I definitely wasn't. But I had standards. And I never slept with anybody because they could, you know, uh, uh, get me a booking or put me over on the top. Never did that. Uh Yes, I slept with wrestlers. That's a common question. Well, did you sleep with any wrestlers? Of course I did. Um, you work in this business office. You ever slept with any of the guys you work with? Well, of course, because I'm with them all day, and then we go out at night. Uh, duh. I'm around wrestlers 24-7. You know, and it just happened. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, you had a couple of assholes in the crowd that would kiss and tell, but most of the time it was just one of those things. I mean, uh, uh, Wendy Richter married a wrestler. Uh, it's because that's, that is what is around you. That, that is your circle, you know, and when, and when you're on the road, you know, motel to motel, you go to the match, then you go to the bar, then you go back to the motel. The only persons you really see are wrestlers, and you're only in that town for one night. So how are you going to meet somebody to have an extended relationship with? Right, especially with the schedule that you said you were uh, doing, being right. possible. Oh, yeah. Well, you, you've seen the record. You, you saw. And, you know, that... The time that I was in wrestling, women were very hot. And I, I take that because we actually wrestled. You know, we knew a hammerlock from a headlock. Um, and we weren't doing the TNA thing. Uh, and uh, to this day, uh, Vinnie Mac is not one of my favorite people because of what he did to my business not only what he did to wrestling as a whole but what he actually did to my business women's wrestling he degraded women's wrestling he degraded women on a whole he even degraded his own wife i there there's there's one show uh, that was on, there was one spot that was on the night I almost put my foot through my 55-inch DLP. Back in 19, I believe it was 1987, 1988. And I happened to be up late. And Vinnie Max Wrestling came on and they were in Kuwait. And they kept talking about how Triple H was going to be Santa and how the girls were going to have a contest and the winner of the contest was going to be Triple H's, you know, 
Santa's little helper. Well, I'm thinking, okay, contest, Santa's helper, winner, we're going to have what I call a wrestle-off. Two women are going to wrestle. The winner of that match is going to wrestle the third woman. The winner of that match is going to be Santa's little helper. So, you know, I'm interested because I hadn't watched it in a while. And I sit down, and out come the three women, and I can't tell you who you, they were. I'm sure you can look it up on, on uh, 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 YouTube and find it. And they come out in these cute little Santa coats. I did not notice that they didn't have wrestling boots on, that they had high heels on. And they get in the ring, and they take their coats off. And little coats don't bother me because we all have little coats. Um, but when they took the coats off, they had three diamonds and butt floss. Jeez. And they started, and they started dancing. The contest was a dance-off, and the only thing missing was the frickin' pole and the dollar bills. <laughs> and up until about three weeks ago, that was the last night I ever watched the WWE. Uh, the same night, there was a spot that Vinny did, or that Vinny's wife, Linda, did, where, and I think it was Gary Hart, I won't swear to it, but I think it was Gary Hart, came to, quote, unquote, the McMahon's house, and he was talking to Linda, and he was telling her all the wrong things that Vinny Mack had done, and she was going to pay for it, and the last scene you see is him hooking Linda's arm very tightly, and they're walking up the stairs to the bedroom. And he told her, and now you're going to pay for what he's done. He even disrespected his own wife. Uh, you have to figure how many, uh, I mean, some of the, some of, I don't want to say feuds, but a lot of the work that Stephanie McMahon did was very sexualized for a while there, too. I mean, her entire. Well, he, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, like I'm saying, I, I'm not sure it's women's wrestling that he despises. I think it's women in general. You know, I don't know if he's jealous because we get all the guys and he doesn't get any of them or what. I mean, several times I've offered Vinny $1,000. Him and I can walk in a room, a soundproof room, close the door. I want five minutes. Doesn't matter what happens. Doesn't matter if something, you know, bones get broken or what else. He can walk out of that room with no consequences. I just want five minutes alone in a room with him. No, no cameras, no nothing. No, no advertisement, nobody present, just me and him. So that I can show him what I think of what he's done to my business. Well, and, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. And that will stand until I can't stand. Well, I'll tell you, Benny, the, uh, the visual of <laughs> the visual of, of, 
Princess Victoria and Vince McMahon as that door is closing. I can't think of a a better final thought. Uh, I mean, Princess Victoria, you you shared some phenomenal stories, and I your careers uh, and history and legacy is all amazing stuff. And uh, some of it I know is probably not easy to talk about. And I appreciate you giving us the time to do so. Uh, so thank you so much for your time tonight. Um, as as obviously as we wrap up, do you have any any final thoughts? Anything you want to put out before we let you go for the night? Um, the main thing to these new wrestlers or these people trying to get into wrestling, if your trainer does not make you puke at least once during your first training, get the hell out of there and go find yourself a real trainer. (laughs) If your trainer says after three months of training once a week, for for three months that you're ready to have your first match do not walk run and find yourself another trainer and to all the indie women out there and you know who you are you're my friends and i love you all thank you for what you're doing for women's wrestling today i love you all and i appreciate you all and to the fans out there thank you for being fans because if it wasn't for you i would be nobody And God bless every one of you. Well said. Well said. Thank you again, Princess Victoria, for all your time. And uh, we appreciate this. We'll definitely, Benny will will reach out to you when everything's said and done and uploaded. And uh, we'd love the chance to talk to you again in the future. I would love love that. Uh, Thank you for having me. I appreciate the way you guys let me talk. I really had a good time tonight. Thank you. Good. We're glad. Excellent. That's glad to hear it. Absolutely. Well, thank you again. Uh, have yourself a good evening. And everyone, uh, Princess Victoria, uh, you have to look up some of your moments and matches on YouTube. It's out there. It's great stuff. And like you said, it is women's wrestling in in the real wrestling style. I'm going to have to find, see if I can't find a, a clip of you throwing somebody into the crowd. There you go. So, uh, again, for, for Princess Victoria for the BS Express himself, Benny Scala, I'm Dan Spastiano. Have a good night, everyone, and we will see you next time we're in the ring.